You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Interviewing top sports personalities from around the nation in order to provide you next-level insight and analysis into your Cleveland Browns. Blue Wire Hustle proudly presents All Eyes on Cleveland. And now, here is your host, Brad Ward. Welcome to another edition of All Eyes on Cleveland. My name is Brad Ward. I am your host. Tonight, uh, we are going to take a quick look at uh, what happened and what went down on Sunday in the Browns collapse. Just a kind of, uh, let's get this out, let's uh, figure out who did what, where, when, how it all happened, uh, and uh, move on with it, because the rest of the week here, uh, we'll be looking at Pittsburgh and moving forward for the most part. So, I want to first take a look at uh, uh, some response from the secondary after the game. Um, We have uh, a couple uh, things going on here. Some deflecting of blame um, from guys in the secondary. So uh, there was John Johnson who basically referenced hand signals, right? Uh, hand signals that they use on the defense, which is commonplace in the NFL, to verify what coverage you're in or in the like, right? So, and he said it's just as much about sending, uh, or is just as much about sending as it is, uh, or receiving as it is sending. Pardon me. So, emphasizing on the receiving part, and uh, maybe uh, pointing the finger a little bit to someone who's not totally. Uh, getting the calls as um, we look for what happened here. And we know what happened on this play now, but let's also look at some react here as um, a very good job here. Uh, the managing editor at the Browns Wire, Corey Kinnon, uh, did an article on uh, John Johnson, the third Denzel Ward, both deflecting blame uh, for the blown coverages. So if we take a look here at what was actually said, Uh, The loss is all in the secondary, Corey writes, and nobody seems to be taking blame for it. After the game yesterday, it was safety John Johnson III who said, not everyone is playing the same coverage. Well, no no shit. Uh, Then newly paid cornerback Denzel Ward came out and said, it wasn't my coverage, but I'll take the blame for it. So, uh, thanks, Denzel. Um, and as Corey writes in his article here, it, it's the classic, I'll say it was me if it makes us go away. And um, that's what you got. So no accountability, and it would have been refreshing. Honestly, it would have been refreshing if someone would have said, that's on me, I screwed up, my bad, you know, we're going to get it fixed, but that was on me. 
Uh, I don't know what happened, whatever, mixed up, call this, that, the other. But what um, happened is we were kind of guessing a little bit last night, but um, with some professionals taking to uh, Twitter today uh, that uh, got a closer look at things, we now know that the Browns were, well, it appears that everybody on the field was playing cover three except for Denzel Ward, um, who was uh, playing cover two. So um, let's take a quick look here. I think Tyvis Powell uh, did a a write-up on this, as well as some other things that went on during the day. Um, But the one that he points out here, uh, this one is on Denzel. Now he's referencing the uh, the long 66-yarder uh, to Corey Davis. Um, and he basically just says, um, this one is on Denzel. Uh, they are in uh, cover three. Um, however, Denzel is uh, playing cover two and and you can tell that by the um way that he has his backside to the sideline and it's i believe it's called hinge uh a hinge position and that's um what he would do in uh cover two now in the cover three in this scenario he would be responsible for the deep third over there, which is kind of what we referenced last night in that he should be deeper or responsible for anybody running a go on that third of the field, therefore running with that receiver over the top, never should have let him pass him. Um, and uh, because he didn't, that that is a fail. He also uh, pointed, I was pointed out here on Twitter that earlier in the game, um, made a mistake as well, uh, this one, um, when um, on the touchdown that uh, the Jets scored in the red zone. Let's see if we can find this. Mikey, and even Richard Sherman weighs in on this, who has been playing in this cover three defense forever. So, Brees Hall scores on his first NFL TD, and it was the one where he just leaked out of the backfield wide open, nobody there. This one, Tyvis Powell writes on Twitter, this one is also on Denzel. They're in cover two, and he got caught trying to reroute the receiver and got outflanked in the flats by the running back. Got to play off, play wide in the red zone, and have eyes. No need to reroute here. And then that is followed up uh, by Richard Sherman, of the Legion of Boom, who uh, where the the defense that the Browns play, this cover three defense that they play a lot, and a lot of the schemes that the Browns run came from that Seattle defense. Um, Richard Sherman writes, which is why you never can capital all caps reroute in the red zone. There is no need with the field being condensed. So there you have it from a couple uh, professionals uh, evaluating the season. So Denzel with a rough day there. Um, Clearly didn't get the the call properly or receive it properly that they were on the 66-yarder that they were in cover three. If so, he should have been back 
and running with the receiver, in fact, on top of him the whole time in that situation. And instead, he is in uh, with his backside outside leverage in a hinge uh, where his, you know, the hinge uh, position is kind of um, almost like a defensive slide in basketball where you're backside to the to the uh, uh, sideline and you're keeping uh, your eyes back towards the field. Um, and has, it lets him run right past him, expecting to have safety help over the top in what, in his mind, we thought was a cover two, where Delpit would have been. However, Delpit and everybody else on the field, which you can tell by the linebackers coming up and playing their uh, the curl hooks and everything, uh, that they were in cover three, and uh, which is why he ran butt naked down the sidelines, wide open for a touchdown. So there's a couple of them. The other one that I referenced last night is I went to Next Gen Stats and put up, you know, the little bubbles they use where you can kind of see the All-22 uh, before the All-22 comes out. As you can see, uh, they track the movement of the players. And I put that out. You can find that on my Twitter timeline, at Ward on Sports. Um, as I put that play, uh, the 66-yarder out, which is hard to watch, <laughs> honestly, from that point of view. And then the final touchdown, to Garrett Wilson in this one in this play as you watch and you can watch it from that perspective over the top that it is Delpit very slow to respond backs up into the boundary before making any move forward it's almost as if they're scared to death of Garrett Wilson a little bit and you see this on a couple of coverages in the second half, but especially this one where he is backing up and then to the boundary before he makes a move forward. At that point, Wilson has cut his route inside behind JOK. Uh, it's just a good route in general. But if you have any chance to break this up, it's because Delpit anticipates it and gets up there and he is nowhere close because he's backing up as they snap and. It's my understanding that he should be all the way back and playing this forward. Uh, therefore, um, you know, not good coverage. Uh, I didn't know that about having the heels against the back end line there, um, but that was pointed out um, that he should be all the way back in with his heels on the in the back of the end zone and playing it forward. Uh, so if you know, in his, it looks like he's anticipating Garrett getting to that point where he could either cut to the corner of the end zone to the right or go left, and, and he's backing up into that pylon in the back uh, right of the end zone, and instead Wilson goes left behind JOK, a good ball from Flacco, and, and Delpit is very late to get there as a uh, late reaction and playing kind of soft and not aggressive enough, and frankly that one uh is on him so we see there kind of uh what is going on in the secondary some malfunctions across the board so as a whole lots of issues to work out here really just adjustments across the board whether it's communication in out players need to know the same stuff but stuff that can be fixed right um and Denzel really just, I don't know what's going on with him mentally. He hasn't had a good two weeks, but uh, it needs to get fixed, right? This guy got paid a lot of money here, 
and um, it needs to be fixed on his side of the ball. It also brings me back to a point, if you listen to my show, um, that I brought up a long time ago, is I, I wondered about the Browns kicking Greg Newsom into the slot, and I don't know how well that's working. Because when you're doing that, you're moving guys around a lot more than you would if, like, when you go into a nickel, you're running the nickel onto the field. In this case, it's more of like they're running MJ Emerson into the boundary and kicking Newsom inside and asking him to play two different positions at times, which is tough and weird. So I bring, I'll raise that question again, which I raised at the beginning. I raised it at the beginning more of like from a PFF perspective of like, hey, you spent a lot of draft capital on this guy. He looks great on the boundary as an outside corner. Why are you moving him inside? Now, in today's NFL, you get guys lining up inside all the time that are your number one wide receiver, your number two wide receiver. This, I mean... Just tonight, you can see the way that the Vikings are using Justin Jefferson in every kind of formation possible. So, it is some good forward thinking, but you are asking a lot of him. And I will say, in general, I think that the team is better, and I'll get to the statistic here, when Anthony Walker is on the field, and I think they communicate better when Anthony Walker is on the field. And here's a statistic I have from PFF, uh, one bright spot on the defense. Anthony Walker and JOK combined for 37 yards in coverage all day. So impressive stuff from them, Um, and uh, those are the guys that should be on the field when you have the two linebackers out there. As far as I'm concerned, unless somebody needs a blow, uh, Jacob Phillips' experiment should be over. We are in the regular season now, right? Like, what what are we doing? Um, The other play brought into question by many, and I found this very silly, and I will repeat it again. When Nick Chubb scored the touchdown to put them at a 99.9 win probability with under two minutes left in the game, um, and Stefanski referenced this, and he's doing Nick Chubb and himself a disservice by even honoring this, really, that he should have gone down or or, or uh, not scored on purpose there to down the ball. Uh, going up two scores with under two minutes seems like the prevalent thing to do in that situation. Um, Stefanski seemed to entertain the idea that maybe he could have alluded to Nick to go down. I find this ridiculous. It never crossed my mind once. I heard uh, some other people say it never crossed their mind, and I agree uh, to go down there. No, you're going up by two touchdowns with under two minutes. There's no reason you should lose that game, and it shouldn't be any of your concern to screw around with the ball with a chance to go up two scores. You leave you leave any number of things open to possibility if, if you don't go in the end zone there. So score, and just don't fuck up the rest of the game and you're good, right? Like, the rest of this was stupid and should have never happened. So, 
uh, going back and, and putting some sort of blame on him or Stefanski for not recognizing that situation, I find very silly. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. The last thing we're going to look at tonight is this onside kick. Because Kevin says that he uh, warned the team about the kick to the left side. So in front of me now, I have the onside kick up. The alignment is uh, one, two, three on each side at the 10 yard, about 10 yards from the kick. Uh, And then the deep man on the far side, I can't tell who that is, maybe Harrison Bryant, and then the deep man on the side that the ball got kicked to is Amari Cooper. And then directly over the ball, which would be your 11th man, is John Johnson, and that's to take away that little squib that teams will use directly forward 10 yards, and the kicker tries to screen the ball with his body and he'll jump on it. And it's work- that's worked from time to time over the years. In today's NFL, the onside kick should not work very often. And now this kick was fantastic, and we must admit that. But when you see and watch this, and now I hit player, it, it takes bounces twice before it gets to 10 yards. Now, JOK does his job, and he comes upfield and gets a body on a jet right in front of the ball, which is what how this is supposed to be played now Amari is you know it's bounced twice already and it's spinning sideways it's coming at him like uh at a very awkward way it's not coming at him point over point it's coming at him it's all over the place the ball is all over the place but it's coming at him in an awkward angle and it's already bounced twice and it's probably going to bounce again before it gets to him now David Bell is there And I think that's A.J. Green there. Now, David Bell hasn't put a body on anybody yet, but he's watching this uh, other guy here uh, move up the field. But the problem is nobody blocks the man closest to Amari Cooper. And I don't know how you fix this in design, and this may be a product of them putting John Johnson over the ball. Because your other guy there would be there to block him give Amari Cooper more time to either knock the ball out of bounds or recover it. Now, it's coming at a pretty good speed here. It does bounce again, and as it bounces a third time, it's going right to Amari, and that jet that goes unblocked hits Amari. It's right at the sideline, but as Cooper tries to get the ball out of bounds... He does make contact with him. My question is, why is there no one there in your alignment to block him? So, if you know, great kick, first of all. And I'm sure that, and maybe I'd have to ask a special teams coach this or somebody that knows more about special teams, but I'm assuming that he probably 
attempted to kick it here because there is no one there aligned to block that guy, and that gives them the best chance of recovering it. But maybe uh, I would shift my alignment out a guy. I mean, you, this guy gets free run right at Amari Cooper. And, and generally speaking, when you see a well-fielded onside kick, you see guys getting a block on most guys in front of the ball. Maybe somebody gets in there, but it certainly takes longer than it did for this guy to get to Amari because he was untouched. So in retrospect, maybe we take a second look, Mike Prefer, at how we're aligning things, and and maybe there you don't need to put someone over the ball in this situation. Um, maybe you do. I don't know. feels like we're trying to... Like they're trying to stick too many fingers in the dam, you know what I mean, uh, and plug too many holes, and one one just keeps on squirting out when you pull one out and plug another one. So, um, weird, weird stuff, weird game, disappointing as hell. But we move on to Thursday. the The main, the last thing I'm gonna leave you with here tonight. The guys in the secondary not accepting blame and kind of playing word games with it wasn't my coverage, but I'll say it was, you know, uh, or we weren't on all in the same coverage as John Johnson at least kind of points out the obvious. This is not good. This should not be taking place in the media. This stuff should be happening behind closed doors. Stefanski needs to put a stop to this. Joe Woods certainly needs to put a stop to this. And, and, and it needs to stop happening in the media. Don't respond to those questions that way. It was a team mistake. It was on the defense. You don't need... Or have somebody just flat out own up to it. The most refreshing thing of all. But pointing fingers on the field, what we saw way too much in the second half... And then pointing fingers in the media is even worse. So let's kind of corral this thing, get it under control, because all of this is a bad sign. If you're going to get on the same page, then let's get on the same freaking page. Right? Like, this should have been shared up last week when it almost cost you a game. Right? So, there's a look and a kind of dissection of everything we know now a day later of where things went wrong on each one of these plays that led to uh, the Browns' implosion and what should have been a win against the Jets. <clears throat> um, we move on. Thursday night football. Tomorrow night, Josh Keeley will be with me. We will be talking more Browns, talking more about the aftermath of this game, but mostly moving on to Thursday night, which seems like a really, really big game now, especially uh, after this. Remember, silver lining, everybody else in the North lost. The Bengals are 0-2. They look disjointed. So this win would be a very, very nice win. The positives are Brissett played great, and I think there are a lot more games on your schedule that look much more winnable than they did before the season. Now, Cincinnati being one of them. The Patriots being one of them. And a very winnable game this Thursday night against uh, the Steelers at home. Listen, we're doing something new. 
get involved in the all I all eyes on Cleveland community. I wanted to give my listeners a chance to this first. All you need to do is text the word eyes, as in all eyes on Cleveland, E-Y-E-Z, eyes, to the number 31032. And you'll get an introductory text message to the all eyes on Cleveland community. And you get your chance a place in the uh, raffle where we're going to give away some all eyes on Cleveland t-shirts, some swag. So get yourself a chance to win. Text eyes, E-Y-E-Z, to the number 31032 from your mobile phone and uh, get... Uh, a member of our uh, text community, the All Eyes on Cleveland Browns, Cleveland Browns text community, and get yourself a chance to win a T-shirt, a jersey, a hat, a number of things we'll be giving away over the next few weeks. You'll see it on social media, but because you listen to my show, you get first shot at it. There you go. This has been another edition of All Eyes on Cleveland, a Blue Wire podcast production. Thanks to Mikey on the ones and twos behind the virtual glass. For Mikey, my name is Brad Ward. This has been another edition of All Eyes on Cleveland. We are out.